Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. Episode 45, Post-War Soviet Estonia. In this episode, we follow along in the book, History of Estonia, published in 1997 and authored by Tonu Tonberg, Ein Messelu, Tonis Lucas, Matti Lauer, and Agu Payer. Trying to find resources on a small and niche subject such as Estonian history is difficult to find in English. There simply isn't enough demand to produce much work. This book is by far the best book I've come across to tell the entirety, as much as that is possible, of Estonian history. I do suggest that you go online and buy this book if you can find it. The text in the book is accompanied by a plethora of pictures and maps that add value beyond the words that you've heard come out of my mouth. Well, the war is over and the Soviet Union has taken power in Estonia. In this episode, many politicians are shuffled around as Moscow is intent on keeping Estonia politically correct. In Marxism, Borgoy's nationalism was to believe to be the practice by the ruling class of deliberately dividing people by nationality, race, ethnicity, or religion, so as to distract them from engaging in class struggle. It was seen as a divide-and-conquer strategy used by the ruling class to prevent the working class from uniting against them. Hence the Marxist slogan, Workers of all countries, unite. Whether or not this Borgois nationalism was real in Estonia during the post-war period or not, it was believed to be true in Moscow, and that is all that really mattered on the ground in Estonia. In 1944, the Estonian SSR was again incorporated into the Soviet Union. Estonia once more became a Union Republic, wholly dependent on the Central Power. The official name for it was the Estonian Soviet Socialist Republic. The Soviet Union of that time was politically organized as a totalitarian state. The political, economic, cultural, and ideological conditions prevailing there define the development of post-war Estonia. The restoration of Soviet power began immediately after the Red Army had invaded Estonia in the summer of 1944. The units of the Red Army were followed by operative groups, which had been formed behind the lines and charged with restoring Soviet power from place to place. The authoritative institutions of the Estonian SSR were first concentrated in Voru, as Tallinn was still in the hands of the Germans. In September and October 1944, they were transferred to Tallinn, and the new power established its control all over the mainland of Estonia. The battles of the islands were still continuing. The power structure of the Estonian SSR was analogous of that of the USSR, where the leading position was occupied by the Communist Party. The Communist parties of the Union Republics were entirely subjected to Moscow and followed orders and instructions coming from there. At the end of the war, the Estonian Communist Party, or the Estonian Communist Bolshevik Party, or ECBP, until 1952, consisted mainly of party functionaries of different levels 
and officials of state institutions. At the beginning of 1945, the party had 2,400 members. In the post-war period, the number of members began to increase rapidly. By 1951, the party already comprised of 18,500 people, but still less than half of them were Estonians. The party activists had a comparatively low level of education. In towns, counties, and parishes, party policy was carried out by local party committees and by the network of party organizations. Since 1941, when Karl Sarde was imprisoned, the party had been actually led by Nikolai Karatom, who officially became the first secretary of the local central committee in the autumn of 1944. Karatom, who was born in 1901 in Pernu, had left in 1925 for the Netherlands and had joined the party there. In 1926, he had traveled to Leningrad to take part in Congress of Esperanto Experts and had stayed in the Soviet Union. In June 1940, he was sent to Estonia as an editor of the newspaper Communist. And in September of that year, he became a close assistant to Karl Sare, the second secretary of the ECBP. The government of the Estonian SSR, which followed the policy of the central power of the USSR, consisted of people's commissariats until 1946, and of ministries and other central establishments after that. The chairman of the Soviet of Ministers of the ESSR in the years 1944 to 1951 was a June communist, Arnold Weimer. For a short period after the war, Estonia preserved its own army, the Estonian Rifle Corps. The highest legislative body of the Republic, the Supreme Soviet of the Estonian SSR, and its presidium had no actual power. The elections of its new members in February 1947 were carried out formally using the single candidate system. From 1940, the chairman of the presidium of the Supreme Soviet of the ESSR was Johannes Veres Barbaros. In 1946, he committed suicide. After his death, Edward Paul, using the pseudonym Hugo Angervox, an Estonian who came from Russia, became chairman of the Presidium. The Estonian post-war party and government officials were mainly June communists, men who had served in the Rifle Corps, Estonians born in Russia, and foreigners. Moscow mainly supported the staff sent from there and placed increasing trust in them. The staff of local background was defeated in the internal power struggle and had to give up their positions in the hierarchy of the Estonian SSR by the beginning of the 1950s. This created the danger for Estonia of losing its individuality altogether in the conditions of the Stalinist regime taking over everywhere. Simultaneously with building the Soviet power structure, the former borders and traditional administrative division of Estonia were also changed. In the years 1944 to 1945, Estonian territory was reduced. 
Three counties located on the eastern bank of the Narva River were joined to the Leningrad province. The majority of the Pechery region, including the towns of Pechery, were joined to the newly created Peskov province. The former Pechery County was abolished and its territory, which was not joined to Peskov province, was joined to Voru County. Estonia had received the area joined to the provinces of Leningrad and Peskov. 2,330 square kilometers, or about 5% of Estonian territory, as a result of the Tartu Peace Treaty in 1929, and 80% of the population of the region were Russians. Simultaneously, with the reduction of the Estonian territory, some of the Latvian territory was also cut off. As a result of this process, both formerly independent countries lost their strategic border areas. Further minor changes of the Estonian-Russian border areas took place in 1957. When the Estonian SSR was restored, the existing administrative division was initially preserved. In 1945, Estonia consisted of 10 counties and 236 parishes. Later, Hiuma in 1946, Hiofi and Yugava in 1949 were established as separate counties. In the parishes, rural councils were formed, which became the primary organs of power. In 1950, parishes were abolished and rural councils became the only rural organs of power of the Soviet regime. In the autumn of the same year, division of the country into districts was carried out. The counties, which were 13, were abolished and replaced by 39 rural districts. For a short period from 1952 to 1953, the Estonian SSR was divided into three provinces. The majority of Estonians had a negative attitude towards the re-established Soviet order for a long time. It was expressed in passive as well as active resistance to the occupying regime. In the years 1944 to 1953, it occurred in the form of armed struggle, the Forest Brother Movement. At the same time, Estonians expected and hoped the Western countries would like to restore Estonian independence and hinder the Soviet occupation of Eastern Europe. In the final years of the war, and after the war, there were many men in the forest who had served in the German army, had cooperated with the German occupying authorities, were hiding from conscription to the Red Army, or were just trying to escape Soviet power. They formed the bulk of the members of the Forest Brothers. The total number of the people in the forest reached 30,000 at different periods of time. There were about 10,000 active guerrilla fighters among them. There were no national or rural resistance organizations in Estonia. The average number of members in the bigger groups was 50 to 60 men, but more often the groups consisted of 5 to 10 men. There were representatives of different social classes among the Forest Brothers, varying from professional officers and wealthy farmers to poor peasants. The Forest Brothers did not receive any foreign assistance. 
so they depended on support from people who supplied those in the forest with food, shelter when needed, and information. Resistance groups were located all over Estonia, the most active of them being in Pernu, Viru, and Voru counties. They attacked Soviet security units and destroyer battalions, killed Soviet rural activists, and organized disruption of the railways. Simultaneously, shops, dairies, and even farms were robbed, which increased fear among rural people. In order to fight the guerrillas, the Soviet authorities used regular army units and security forces, militia, and local Soviet activists. This war after the war exacted a heavy toll on both sides. The resistance of the guerrillas was considerably weakened by the 1949 deportations. By the beginning of the 1950s, the occupying regime had managed to suppress the resistance movement. The years of Forest Brother fighting clearly demonstrated that Estonians did not surrender without a fight. A few people remained in the forest for years. The last resistance fighter was captured in the forest of South Estonia in 1978. The policy of enforcement of Soviet authority was varied and was directed towards different strata of population, aiming at subjecting the whole of society to its control. The policy was directed by the party apparatus and executed by security bodies, the Ministry of Internal Affairs and the Ministry of Security. Already in 1944, massive arrests were made of people who had actively supported the German occupation or been disloyal to Soviet order. They were sent to prisons and hard labor camps. In the years 1944 to 1954, the number of people repressed were about 30,000. Some people, trying to avoid arrest, escaped into the forests, thus adding to the number of forest brothers. In order to make people leave the forests, the authorities announced several amnesties and called on them to return to their everyday work. But it soon became clear that in spite of the promises, several people who had left the forest were arrested. Therefore, subsequent amnesties did not bring the expected results. As well as direct physical repression, intellectual violence was applied. It was expressed subjecting the intellectual life of society to the ideological dogmas of the ruling regime and leveling the pre-war cultural sphere. Examples are education, science, the arts, etc. And excessive red propaganda accompanied it. The post-war policy of violence achieved its peak in 1949, when mass deportation was carried out. On the night of the 26th of March, 20,722 people were deported to Siberia from Estonia. The majority of these deported were women and children, and they were mainly sent to the Krasnoyarsk territory and the Novorbirsk province. The peak of the March deportation was directed toward the rural population, more than 90% of those deported. To frighten them and thus achieve their voluntary joining of collective farms. Another goal was to reduce support to Forest Brothers. Those deported represented 2.5% of the Estonians living in the territory of Estonia in March 1949. 
The present Viliandi, Volga, and Pernu regions suffered the biggest losses. In 1950, a deportation was carried out in the territories of Peskov province, which had been taken from Estonia and Latvia in 1944 to 1945. The total number of those deported was around 1,400, mainly Estonians and Latvians. Stalinist Despotism The central characteristic feature of the development of domestic policy of the Estonian Soviet Socialist Republic in the post-war years was the struggle against so-called Borgois nationalism. This notion was introduced by Nikolai Karatom in 1944, and the theoretical explanation of it was provided by Gustav Nahn in his pamphlet, Reactionary Essence of the Ideology of Borgois Nationalists of Estonia, in 1947. Nan's views coincided with that of ideological fight directed by Andrei Zadanov, who was so well known to Estonians already. Nan stated that Borgois nationalists appear as deadly enemies of Estonian people and that the fight has not ended yet. The hostile elements have strengthened their struggle in anticipation of approaching death. It matched the Stalinist statement of the strengthening of class struggle in the process of development of socialism. The first to receive the label of Borgois nationalist were the members of the creative intelligentsia of the Estonian Republic. One of the chief organizers of this attack was Max Leosun. At the same time, the internal struggle among the authorities of the Estonian SSR became more and more evident. The most serious was the conflict between the June communists and the Russian-born Estonians. The men in power who had come from Russia could not help feeling that the top leaders of the ESSR, especially Karatom and Arnold Weimer, were infected with Borgois nationalism as well. Moscow shared this view, and in 1949, a high-level party commission was sent to control the situation in Estonia. Based on the commission's report, a separate decision was adopted in Moscow about mistakes and shortcomings in the work of the ECBP. In March 1950, the notorious 8th plenary session of the ECBP assembled in Tallinn to discuss the decision and introduce measures to improve the situation. The plenary accused the top leadership of the Estonian SSR of underestimating Borgoy's nationalism, adopting an incorrect policy of collective farms, making inadequate choices of staff, and many other faults. The organizers of the massive accusations were Moscow emissaries and their local henchmen. The eighth plenary session actually became their moment of stardom. Karatom was relieved of the post of party leader and Johannes Ivan Kabin was elected as first secretary of the ECBP with Moscow's approval. The chairman of the Presidium of the Supreme Soviet of the ESSR, Edward Paul, also lost his post and was replaced by a popular writer of the time, August Jacobson. Although Karatom lost his position in the party hierarchy, he preserved his personal freedom. He became a researcher in the Academy of Sciences of the Soviet Union. 
then a doctor of economics and a professor. Karatom died in 1969 in Moscow. The immediate influence of the Eighth Plenary Session was a thorough cleansing of institutions of power in Estonia, from ministries to rural councils. The system of education, the cultural establishments, and creative associations. In 1951, the chairman of the Soviet of Ministers, Arnold Weimer, was replaced by Alexei Murisev, who was more acceptable to Moscow. He held this post until 1961. Several leading politicians and June communists were arrested and sent to prison camps, and the Minister of Commerce, August Hansen, was shot. The Eighth Plenary of the ECBP was a revolutionary event, having far-reaching implications on the future development of Estonia. The Russian Estonians, together with Russian-speaking party activists, took power in the country. Fear and depression grew in society. The Stalinist ideology began to rule. Attacks on the national culture and national history increased. In a previous episode, I've mentioned the fact that I'd be going to Estonia during the Christmas holiday with my family and called for anyone that wanted to meet up to reach out. I've received some responses that showed interest. I don't know where or when this will happen, but as we get closer to December, if you are interested in meeting up for a chat and likely meeting other foreigners living in Estonia with love for Estonian history, please keep tuned for further information. So until we meet next time, Nagamiseni.